Are you tired of small groups always getting into your business, trying to get you to share your feelings, discuss your past, confess your sins? Are you just looking for a place to kick it, network, maybe get some free grub? Me too. That's why I created what I believe to be the world's first openly shallow small group. We're not here to deal with messy stuff like feelings and emotions. You got problems? You deal with them. You're an adult. Life ain't easy. So stop the pity party. We all have our issues. We don't really want to do life together. Frankly, at Shallow Small Group, we try not to do much of anything at all. You'll never hear us use the term, unpack that thought. We're sure it's packed away for a really good reason. And you'll never hear us use the term accountability unless you're talking about someone who deals with numbers. Hey, dude, thanks for doing my taxes. You have great accountability. And spiritual growth? Who wants growth? I had a growth removed last week. It wasn't pleasant. There's no pressure here to remember each other's name. What's going on, buddy? Oh, hey, man. How's it going? Yeah, it's good. Yeah, hey, Chief. Oh, dude. Captain, what's going on? We know you have a name, and that's the important thing. Group discussion? You got tickets to the big game? Sweet. Let's spend some time on that. Oh, you and your wife are struggling financially? There's tension in the relationship? Uh, that's not really the vibe we're going for. We avoid conflict like the plague. And there will never, ever be an awkward silence. That's our guarantee to you. We hate bad theology as much as the next guy, and we know the surest way to prevent bad theology is to avoid theology altogether. And outreach? This is the only outreach you'll ever have to do. Some people say we're superficial, but hey, the word supers and superficial. I mean, who doesn't want to be super? Shallow small group, because when things get too deep, people drown. <laughs> Won't you join us? <laughs> that's pretty good, isn't it? That's funny. Well, welcome. That was mediocre applause, but that's all right. It is uh, great to be here with you on Super Bowl Sunday. As we were worshiping earlier, man, I sure, um, I'm sure enjoying Nate and Melinda leading worship and that sort of thing. But I, I found myself saying there's a whole lot of people gathering tonight to cheer a lot for a Super Bowl. You'll do the same thing. And I want to start the service today. I did this in first service too. I want to just start the service. I want you to give some praise to the Lord. Can you just clap to him and praise him as their Lord? Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Let him look down from heaven and see there's a whole lot of people cheering about him, too. I think that's awesome. I'm thrilled to get to preach on Super Bowl Sunday. When Pastor Craig asked me and allowed me to do this, I, I thought he didn't know what happened. About 20 years ago, I spoke on Super Bowl Sunday, and I haven't been allowed to speak since because of what I did. Um, I was a crazy, wild youth pastor back in the day, and I thought it'd be really cool since it's Super Bowl Sunday to throw out footballs. And so I heaved this football in the service. I heaved it way toward the back, and it hit an elderly lady in the head during, like, to start the service. It was not a good situation. The ushers were checking on her and all that kind of stuff. And I haven't been invited back on Super Bowl Sunday for 20 years, and I was assuming Pastor Craig didn't know the story, so he let me back. Um, and the lawsuit, we did get that settled. But everything's good. And this morning, I thought I'd start by throwing some T-shirts. Who likes the Patriots? Anybody here like the Patriots? All right, right there. There's a Patriot fan. Don't let it hit you, man. Oh, good. That's good. That's good. It's not a, it's not a Patriot shirt. It's a winning at home shirt. Anybody in the balcony? 
You're like, yeah, right there. Okay, you see the dude, you little dude right there. I'm going to try to get to you. Come on, baby. Is it going to make it? Hey, all right, hey. Oh, my arm's not what it was 20 years ago. It is great to get to preach on Super Bowl Sunday, and I wanted to get it started like that because we're all going to have some fun in this service. And I'm going to ask you a question during this service. Who's in your huddle? That's an obvious question when it comes to football. If you're here and you don't know a lot about football, you're going to be fine during this service. But I'm going to ask the question, who's in your huddle? Because tonight during the game, you're going to see that right there, that little huddle. And then roll the video if you will, Karen. They break from the huddle, and then the team comes out, and they line up. Freeze it right there. They're getting ready to run a play. If you don't know what football is, they're going to run a play. That's the offense. And that huddle is where they talk about what play we're going to run. And I thought it'd be fun for you just to at least know this little fact. The huddle started in 1890. There's a school called Calumet University. It's a school for the hearing impaired. And the quarterback on that team wanted to be able to tell his people in the huddle what they were going to do in the play, and he had to sign it so they would understand what he's saying, but he didn't want the opposing team over there to be able to see his signing, so he asked them, get real close so nobody can see. That's why the huddle started. People protested, protesters in that day too, people protested, they didn't like it, said it was making the game too long, but eventually it morphed into a really quick moment that happens before they run the play, and tonight you will see that over and over and over again. And let me tell you, every time they go into that huddle, they're talking about how to move the ball down the field in a positive direction. They never get in the huddle and go, hey, who wants to fumble? <laughs> hey, you know what let's do? Let's turn the ball over this play. They're not going to do that. Because they want to move the ball down the field in a positive way. And I've come to ask you the question this morning, which way are you moving the ball? Who's in your huddle helping you decide where you're going? Because some of you here today, if you really owned up to it, you're going the wrong direction. The people in your huddle, some of the people you're hanging out with, are taking you in the wrong direction. Teenagers, would you, would you please just listen for a second? Because I had a man walk up to me after last service and said, Dan, you know when you said that thing about as a teenager you have to make a decision? He said, I had to. If I had not changed my friends when I was a teenager, I would have ruined my life because all my friends did. And I'm going to ask you today, who's filling those slots? When you get together tonight, when they get, I'm telling you, when Tom Brady, that was the Patriots, when he calls it, or Matt Ryan for the Falcons tonight, when they get in that huddle, there won't be somebody from the other team in that huddle. That would be the opposition. Some of you right now are literally huddling with someone who's, they're the opposition. They're actually hurting your game plan. And I want you to know this isn't your idea. Jesus actually didn't just have 11. Jesus had 12 people in his huddle. And I want to take you back to the day uh, when he was putting his huddle together. We're going to set up what we're going to do by kind of reading a little bit of what he did. If you turn in your Bible to the book of Mark, so maybe have it on your phone or an iPad or if you have your Bible with you, Mark chapter 1. And I want you to turn to verse 16. Let me set it up a little bit. John has just been put in prison. 
And Jesus is saying, the kingdom of heaven is near. I've got to get my team ready. Now, if you look between verse 15 and 16, you have to understand there's time passing there. Sometimes when we read the Bible, we think, oh, that's the next sentence, next sentence, and there's no break. But between verses 15 and 16, time was passing. In other words, they quoted something Jesus said in that passage. And then we go to a scene in verse 16 of him walking by the Sea of Galilee. Now, I've got a video that's going to roll that's actually walking by the Sea of Galilee because I like it when you put yourself in the story. You need to understand Jesus was actually uh, relaxing. Some of you sometimes go out to the beach in this area and you walk by the beach, walk on the sand on the beach. Why? To relax. That's exactly what Jesus was. Jesus knew what was coming and he was thinking about who am I going to put around me? Who's going to be in my huddle that will stick with me because I'm going to die. So the scene unfolds, and I'm going to let the scene unfold on the screen. Imagine you're walking with Jesus by the water. This is what it would have felt like. Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee. Picture yourself. We're walking along with Jesus. Nobody's talking. He looks out into the water, and he sees Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake because they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus yells out. Imagine, guys, we're by the water. Come follow me. You'd hear it right over the water. And I will make you fishers of men. At once, imagine, we're looking out there, and they left their nets. And they came and followed. He walked a little further along that same water, and he saw James, the son of Zebedee. And his brother John was in a boat. They were preparing their nets to fish as well. And without delay, he called them. They left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men, and they followed Jesus. Jesus was putting people around him. Here's four of them. We just saw him pick four. Now, when you read the story, you you can almost get in your mind, boy, Jesus didn't like people fishing. That's not what this story was about. Jesus had observed these guys' lives, and he said, this kind of person I want around me. And I want you to note a couple of things. There are sermons, you've probably heard them, and there are other ways that Jesus called his other part of his 12 different scenarios. But as you observe how he did it, I want you to note a couple of things about these people. First one is this, watch this. Those four guys he just called, they were, ready, average people. Average people. Some of you in here... um, You've got in your mind, if I could just have so-and-so in my huddle, if I had this person, oh, if I could just get a really famous person in my huddle, if I could, that's not what Jesus did. You guys understand, Jesus could have put whoever he wanted in there. He could have picked a top scribe. He, He could have picked a famous person. I mean, he hung out with some of them, but he picked an average person. He picked somebody like you, which makes me, check myself and say, who do I put around me? Do I have to have people who everybody knows and everybody... Is that what I'm about? Check your life. If connections are more important with connected with Christ, then, then you're, out of, you're out of touch with what's important. I used to think that way. When I was youth pastor here at Central, I can remember thinking, if I could just get someone... And I've, I've lost that because over time I've realized that wasn't what was important. You have to grow in that. And if you're here today and you aren't just looking for someone who says, wait, 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 I don't need famous people. I need people who love God. That's what you're after. Jesus was looking for people 
who were average people who would follow him. Secondly, he looked for people who were willing to sacrifice. He said to them, will you lay down your net for a bigger net? You need to make sure as you look around your life and go, are these people who get it? Do these people get that Jesus is the most important thing in the world? That honoring God, are, are the people around me who are helping me make decisions, who are choosing where I go on Friday night, are those, do those people care about eternity? Because Jesus said, I need to see people who will sacrifice for eternity's sake. They're going to have to go low and hard with me. And third, he looked for people who were willing to risk. Um, as I was driving over here last night, I came and sat in the parking lot and just preached through the sermon by myself. And as I was driving over here and working on it, I thought, man, I wonder what would happen for a lot of us if tomorrow morning somebody walked into your office, okay? Let's just say someone who you know is a really God follower walked into your office and said to you, um, I need you to get up from your desk right now because that's what happened with these four guys. It was on the spot, immediate decision. If somebody walked in and said, hey, I need, I need you to get up. No, no, you don't even need to take your pen. No, leave that stuff there. You don't even need your keys. You're riding with me. I want you to get up and follow me. We're going to go do something for the kingdom of God. Could you? If you really felt that calling, could you risk it? This, this message is going to challenge you to say, do I have people in my huddle who will push me to honor God no matter what age or stage of life I'm in? Because some of you here who are 70, you go, man, that's a great sermon for 30-year-olds. Nope. If you still were able to walk from your car and get in here today, you better be ready. Because God needs you. And God needs you to say, I'll risk everything right now if he needs me to. So what we're going to do this morning is I'm basically going to take that same little principle of how Jesus put his huddle together, and I'm going to ask you six questions. They're very simple questions. And I want to just ask you to look at your life and say to yourself, do I have people in my huddle who do these things? The first question is this. Do they care more about pleasing God than pleasing you? If you've put people around you who are just yes people, who will just say what you want to hear, that's dangerous. You need to make sure they care about pleasing God more than you. And here's one way to check that. Look at their fruit. The Bible says the fruits of the Spirit, right here, love, joy, peace, patience, long-suffering, goodness, kindness. What kind of fruit is dropping off the tree? Like when you watch their life, does fruit drop off that people run up and say, I want a piece of that? Or is it dead fruit? If you're hanging out, and living around people and working, I'm not working, not, but being around, have surrounded with you people who just produce dead fruit, that's trouble for you. Reach those people, absolutely. We're called to go into the uttermost parts of the earth and reach those who are dying and lost. But in terms of where you're going, as a person, do you surround yourself with people who have good fruit? Have you ever gone into your refrigerator and pulled out the fruit tray and reached in there to grab something and you just dove right into the middle of a dead fruit? That's nasty. That's nasty. You've been gone too long or you don't clean your refrigerator enough. That's nasty. Do you ever now and then when you're hanging out with your friends take your hand back and go, oh man, that made a mess. I don't even like the, the smell that gets on me. Just... It leaves a nasty taste in my life. You got to make sure when you look at your huddle 
that you got people who produce good fruit. And if they're doing that, they're pleasing God. They're not pleasing you. A second easy question. Will they tell you the truth even if you don't want to hear it? The people that are right around you, will they tell you the truth? Can they, can they even speak the truth to you? Um, one of the people in my huddle, I'll talk about a few of them today. One of the people in my huddle is a guy named Peter. Peter actually leads and oversees the wellness center at Winning Home. I have 17 counselors now that he's in charge of now. It's amazing how God's blessed him and used that. And I remember when he started with me, he started working with me because I spoke at his church many, many years ago. Called me in to do a marriage retreat. I did the marriage retreat. I finished speaking. When I finished speaking, he came up to me. I walked off the stage. Hey, Dan, thank you so much for coming. It's so good, Peter. Thank you for letting me come. You know, normal kind of thing. And then he said to me, can I just tell you something? Now, I wasn't ready for what he was about to say. I said, sure, Peter. What, what do you want to say? He said, can I just tell you, your speaking is really flawed. That's what he said. I just finished speaking. And he said, your speaking is really flawed. I'm like, well, hey, thanks a lot, man. And I said, can you explain what you mean? And when he told me, I was like, I never thought of that. I never saw that. I said to him, will you come work with me? Because I realized right away, I need this dude around me. Still to this day, we've been partnering together for many, many years. Still to this day, about every three months, about every three months, I will call him into my office or we'll go out to lunch together. And this is the question I will say to him, well, Peter, it's been a little while since I've asked you, um, do you see anything in me that needs to be correcting that I'm just a blind spot? I just, I just don't see it. One of the last times, I'm telling you the truth, one of the last times we got together and I did that sort of thing, he had a little pocket right here when I said, hey, Peter, have you been seeing anything in me you'd like to point out? Literally, he went like this, I got a little sheet here. <laughs> and I said, are you serious? He goes, yeah, I've been making a list. <laughs> like, are you serious? He goes, yeah. He had a list. And as he read it, he finished. And I looked at him and I said, Peter, I didn't see that. that. That wasn't obvious to me. Thank you. You know what that's called? A true friend. A huddler. A person you want around you. And, and I guess I would just ask you this morning, do you like it when people correct you? Is that enjoyable for you? <laughs> Thank you. Like, for those of you who are married, when your spouse says, hey, uh, like, like wives who are here, you know, let, let's just start with you. When your husband says, honey, um, I'd just like to point out a couple of things, is your first thought, baby, please. I've been waiting for you to say this. Or is that, wall of defense. Or, or one of the really good ones, you've got a couple of problems too, and your head gets to doing that little wobble. <laughs> when the head wobbles, that's trouble right there. Guys in here, um, when your wife says, honey, um, I know you're about to watch the Super Bowl. I have a couple things I'd like to run by you. <laughs> Are you looking forward to that? That's, that's part of life is being teachable. And if you're willing to put people around you who can say things to you that you don't want to hear, you probably got wise people around you. I saw someone in the service, I'm not going to look at him right now, but I remember maybe 10 years ago. He came into my office because he'd seen something I'd done and I'd not handled it appropriately. He walked in and closed the door. And he said, hey, Dan, I, I need to just run something by you, man. I, I remember receiving it. I remember saying, I'm sorry, you're right, and I need to change that. I remember that. 
and I learned from it. You got to be willing to receive advice, ladies and gentlemen, if you want to get to. Look, if you want to just stay where you are or go back, go ahead. Keep your ears. Act like you don't want to know. Be unteachable. But if you want to move the ball toward the end zone, listen. Listen. Because people can see things about you you can't see about yourself. And if you really want people around you, to help your life, put some in the slot who will tell you the truth even if you don't want to hear it. Like somebody in here right now is dating someone and, and around someone and your parents who have loved you your whole life are trying to tell you, will you just, look, I'm not out to get you. I'm just telling you this isn't good for you. Listen. Listen. There's a dad in here. Your kid's been trying to tell you something, but... You just sit there. Listen. Look at them. Thank them. They care about you. If they didn't, they'd just say, you're a loser and leave you alone. But they want you. My wife and oldest daughter are sitting right there. They point out things to me sometimes. I don't like it. We're probably going to go lunch today. And if I ask them, hey, is there some area I could grow? I'm sure Chrissy would go, I, I, Dad, thank you for me. I got to receive that stuff. Because someday I'll be gone and I want her to look and go, you know what, Pops is always teachable. That's a good trait. Put people around you who can teach you something. Tonight during the Super Bowl, watch for the moment where one of those lead quarterbacks or another leader on the team, watch for it tonight. You know, even on the sideline, every now and then there'll be a player kind of get out of control. Watch that leader go up to them and grab them by the shoulder pad or something and say, hey man, stop. stop. You're on a team. Quit thinking about yourself. We want to win this game. Stop thinking about that stupid little thing you're thinking about. Let's go. Watch for it. It'll happen sometime during the game because leaders challenge people. Put leaders around you. Put people around you that will keep you going the right direction. Number three, do the people in the slots in your life, do they keep you from settling? Life has a way of settling you. I started winning home 20-something years ago, a little over 20 years ago. And, you know, when I first started, I was like, let's go, baby, I'm on fire. Well, I've been doing it for 20 years. It'd be easy to kind of go, yeah, coast a little. I don't, I don't want to go as hard. I don't want to do as much for the Lord as I used to do. I'm older now. And the Lord's been laying some stuff on my heart to do even in this community. It's way over my head. I'm looking around going, I need some people to help me. I need people to really keep me from settling. Jane and I, um, our house was painted two years ago. And I'm one of those people that I, I like my house looking really neat and clean. Jane's way better than me. But I, I look at the walls and if they're dinged up and got some dents in them and that kind of stuff, I'll go kind of seal that and repaint it and stuff. And in order to do that, I have to go down to the basement and I have to get the old paint can that I put down there two years ago. Any of y'all have ever painted, you know exactly where I'm going with this. When I take the lid off this thing, the chemicals... 
and the ingredients in this paint that make it really what it is, the yellow, the yellow, and the blue, the blue, and this death color, the things that do that over two years sitting in my basement, those things have settled. So some of you sitting here today, you've got a lot of settling going on. Used to be, I went on, I did something for the Lord two years ago. Well, that's settled. That, that's why you're here and you're 70. You've got to get in on this. You need somebody around you with a stir stick. <laughs> it's what you got to have. I'm not going to do it up here this morning because I don't want to pay for this carpet. <laughs> but if I pop the lid on this thing, y'all know in two years. Y'all know what's right on the very top of that paint is just a little film. Probably a little, especially if any air, if I didn't seal this just right when I hammered it down, and Jane always, I'm terrible with tools, it probably does have some, I at least I held the lid on. <laughs> but that's partly because there's a little film right there that won't even let the paint go any further than that right now because it's, it's just kind of, and, and in order to get past that, I got to pop that lid open, and then you got to crack that little film, and then you got to stir. Hey, I don't, I don't just go, huh, got it once. No, no, I'll stir all the time. Sometimes you got to take it back to the store and reshake it. But you stir it. What am I doing? I'm reactivating those chemicals. I'm, I'm doing what it takes to get that paint back to the vibrancy. So when I touch up the spots on the wall, they match. Because if I just paint it when I open the lid, Jane will be saying, that's not good enough. And some of us have, uh, we've settled. You need some stir stick. Like, like you need to go to all the people in your life. Here's your stick, and here's your stick, and here's you. Give all of them a stick. Say, stir me. Um, I, I want to say this as an honor to him this morning. Pastor Craig, he's a stirrer. He's a stirrer. I think he sits at home going, who can I stir next? He's a stirrer. He ain't no settler. He's not a settler. He's a stirrer. He stirred it. Hey, y'all admit it. He stirred it up. And what does it do? It brings a vibrancy. It brings a new color. It brings a new energy. And guess what? You understand most people in life don't like to be stirred. You get that, right? You get people enjoy settling back and relaxing and that's not what jesus jesus didn't say hey hey you two fishermen keep on fishing y'all love y'all have fun no he said come on let's go but jesus we've been fishing our whole life this is the trade we know i got a new trade for you Set, it, it's easy to settle in and and you you got got the house now and, and you, you got the little condo and you got everything's all set Dan, you're saying we can't enjoy our stuff? Shoot, no, Jesus. I told you he was walking by a sea of Galilee. He was enjoying the day, but he also was thinking, who am I going to stir up a little today? And I believe you can enjoy all the things of this world, but don't get so attached to them that they're more important than following Jesus. Nothing is more important than following Jesus. If it is to you today, if you can see that right now for just a moment, grab you a stir stick and get to stirring. Because Jesus needs 
stirred up people. And I challenge you. It, it, it's messy. When, when you open the paint and do it, you know, I, I'm not, you know, I, I, when I do it at the house, I need a rug underneath, and then I got to have some clothes on I can wipe this off with, right? Because it makes a mess. If you're a really good painter, you're like, it doesn't have to. That's because you're a professional. <laughs> For the rest of us, it makes a mess. And sometimes when your friends stir you up, it makes a mess. Get some paint on you. Speckles on your face. But in the long run, that's the people you need around you. Make sure you don't settle in life. I can tell you tonight, if there's a... What, got all this stuff I'm telling you, if you watch the Super Bowl night, watch for these moments where on the sidelines, maybe the Falcons or the Patriots aren't doing very good out on the field. Watch and see if you don't see a player get in a huddle over there and say, Hey guys, come on! Hey, come on, let's go! Good. Stirring each other up. I need the best to come out of you right now, man. We only got another quarter to win this game. Get your butt out there and focus. That's what they else. We wouldn't say that in church, but that's what they will say. <laughs> well, they probably won't say but. <laughs> Number four. The people in your huddle, do they stick by you even when you lose yardage? I have a friend that called me this week. Uh, actually texted me first. Jane was with me, got this text from a dear friend in Tennessee, leads a very large organization there, and the text just said, can you call me as soon as you can? That's all the text said. I said to Jane, that's not normal. Something has happened. Sure enough, he had a setback. He lost some yardage. He's hurting. He was sitting by himself and didn't know where to go, didn't know who to call. So I spent time with him on the phone, and then I've been texting him since, just checking on him. Because you need people who understand life does make you lose yardage. I've lost yardage. I've fumbled. I've had some intercepted passes. And I need people around me who go, hey, hey, we got you. We'll be with you. This is hard. Some of you have sat with me and my wife in the last five years and just said, hey, love you. Hang in there. Through some of the stuff we've gone through. That's called a huddler. Somebody I want on my team. If your friends bail on you when you're going through trials and stuff, you need to get another friend. And speaking of trials, that's another question I want to ask you. Are your people in your huddle, are they trial tested? Have they been through some stuff? If they have, they're probably pretty wise. My verse of scripture this morning for my devotions before I left the house was, do not see yourself as wise in your own eyes. And I think I need people around me who can speak wisdom and see wisdom. And people who have been through trials can, can help me know that I'll make it through my trial. One such person is a lady that many of you know. Um, her name's Holly LeBlanc. She's in my huddle. She's been in my huddle since she was probably um, 17, 18. She was in the youth group when I was youth pastor here. She was a cheerleader at Holland High School. I loved Holly since I've ever known her. You know Holly. She's a vibrant young lady. Worked here at Central for many years. Does some counseling now. Her hair there is not as thick as it used to be. When she was a teenager in youth group, she had to have three or four people help her get through the door. Her hair was so big. So it was awesome. And that's my friend Holly. And, you know, she went away to college and she had a disease attack her body called ataxia. She actually spoke about it. This is a picture I took the other night here. She spoke at an event called 70 times 7. 
the group, the recovery group that many of you are part of, because a part of, and, and this is an awesome picture of her as she was speaking that night, so I'm privileged, one of my favorite pictures of her. This another picture I took at her house, took a little picture of her with her favorite little symbol, little, I tell her it's a lookalike, but that, that's just her. She's a roaring lion to me. She's watching online right now. She can't be here today because about two weeks ago, this poor girl who has been through so many trials uh, found out she has breast cancer. It's invasive. It's stage four. It's in her liver. Doggone it, Holly. I know you're listening online. I'm sorry. We're all looking at your picture right now with Simba. And we love you, and we're sorry. A bunch of us in this room are your huddlers. And I don't know how to explain it. I'm just... I'm talking to you all of a sudden while I'm looking at your picture, but I don't even know what to say to you other than um, our arms are around you, and there's probably people just like you in this sanctuary today who have received that same news, and they're crying probably at the same time you're crying. I, I know you enough to know you're sitting there crying. Probably, if you know Holly, going, <gasps> making that loud noise you make. But um, we love you. And I do believe God's going to use you as a testimony. You have never failed him in being a testimony from 18 all the way to now. What are you, 20? <laughs> I think she's 45-ish or so. Don't be mad at me, Holly. I have no idea how old you are. But thank you for being in my huddle, girl. Thank you for showing me um, that when life deals you crap, you can still smile. You've done it. And I love you a lot, and I'm in your huddle. And what I'm giving to you, I hope everybody in the audience is giving to somebody. Um, just a little love today. So, Lord, I pray for my friend Holly here. Um, worked here at the church for a long time. Been through a lot of trials. She's trial tested, and now you've handed her a new trial that's way bigger than we understand. Um, I pray for her. Started chemo this week. I ask for strength for her and all her friends in this sanctuary who might be going through chemo right now or some other great physical trial that most of us aren't dealing with. Uh, bless them. Watch over them. Put your angels around her today. Hey, Holly, I know you're watching online, so I'm going to have the audience just cheer to let you know we love you. Can you guys just cheer for you? Put... Put people like that in your huddle. You say, Dan, she can't even run. She's in a wheelchair. Oh, yeah, yeah. You're thinking about football. Some of the greatest movers of the ball on this earth are those who are physically impaired. Those who can't walk like you walk. They probably moved Jesus' ball a whole lot further than you did this week. So keep them in your huddle. Let them know they're on your team. And before I share my last point, I have never done this before, but I have what I call an in-between point. So a point in between number five and number six. I have an in-between point. And my in-between point is this. I just want you to know in your life, people will fail you. It's just part of the deal. You say, Dan, I, I don't want to risk putting a huddle together. What if the people let me down? Um, Jesus put a huddle together, and y'all remember Judas? He picked him, and he screwed him. Lost his life because friend betrayed him. And I want to tell you today, don't stop forming your huddles because you're afraid of somebody might hurt you. You can't do that. 
you got to go on and press forward and put people around you and know they will fail. I've failed many people. I've had many people fail me. I have failed my wife. I have failed my daughter, but they're still in my huddle. And I challenge you to press on, even through your failures, confess them one to another, and move forward. And then the last point, I want you to understand when you look at your huddle, you need to make sure at the end of the day, the people in that huddle push you toward God. That's it. Because I, I, in just a second, I'm about to prove something to you. Not using my words. I'm going to prove to you this day. I am going to prove to you this morning, not with my words, with somebody else's words, that if you do all you want to do in this life in terms of chasing success, chasing fame, chasing money, etc., etc., if you believe that all that stuff, if you had it all, you would be fully satisfied, you are wrong, and today I'm going to prove it. It's what God's Word teaches. You need to check and make sure the people around you at the end of your day are helping you prepare for eternity with God. That's all that will matter someday. I promise you, you will not be a day from death laying in the hospital bed going, doggone it, I wish I owned one more car. You won't care. What you will care is that the people around you loved you and pushed you toward God. And I'm going to prove it to you. Tonight, you will watch Tom Brady. And I can tell you, he is more successful and more famous than anyone by the world standards in this room. I shouldn't say successful, not God successful, but in terms of world successful and famous, he's more famous than any of y'all, I can tell you that. How do I know that? If Tom Brady were in the audience this morning, I can promise you we would have said, yo, yo, Brady's in the house. We would have done that. We didn't acknowledge you. (laughs) Welcome. Glad you're here. (laughs) Guests and visitors, you got in on it, but the rest of y'all didn't. Brady's more famous than you. I'm guessing there may be a couple of people, but by and large, I would say that Tom Brady has more money than anyone in here. He's been one quarterback who didn't chase money, but he's got a plenty. I can tell you that Pastor Craig would love for him to be a CWC tither. <laughs> Not even 10%. We'll take a tenth of a 10%. <laughs> he has around him beautiful women. There are some of you in this very room who chase beautiful women. You know you do. You might even be single. You might even be married. But you have chased your whole life wanting to get a beautiful woman. He's got it. He's got a model. She walks around like this. He's got it. He has, by the world standards, Tom Brady has it all. He's won four out of six Super Bowls. He's it. He's why people are betting way more on the Patriots tonight than they are the Falcons. I saw somebody lay down a bet of a million bucks. Because Tom Brady is Tom Brady. So I thought it would be fitting for you to see what he said. I'm going to roll a video of his words that he did a couple years ago in an interview on 60. See what Tom Brady says about the success of this world. Oh, 
Tom Brady, the quarterback of the New England Patriots, is not only one of the NFL's best players, he's one of the NFL's great stories. At the tender age of 30, he has already won three Super Bowls, an accomplishment that ranks him with some of the best quarterbacks ever to play the game. And he's having one of the greatest seasons in pro football history. When we first reported on him back in 2005, he seemed underrated and almost overlooked. He doesn't have the arm of Peyton Manning, and he doesn't have tattoos, and he doesn't take steroids, and he's never held out for more money. All he knows how to do is win. That's what you always wanted. <laughs> You're right. You're right. It has. And I didn't think it came with all the other baggage, though. In addition to his success on the field and his sex appeal off it, there is also the $60 million 10-year contract to play with the Patriots. I mean, I'm making more money now than I ever thought I could ever make playing football. But with all that money, fame, and career accomplishments, we were surprised to hear this from him. Why do I have three Super Bowl rings and, and still think there's something greater out there for me? I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey, man, this is what it is. I reached my goal, my dream, my life is me. I thank God. It's got to be more than this. What's the answer? I wish I knew. I wish I knew. There you go. There you go. He, he's got more than you'll ever have, and he's saying, that's not it. Because, ladies and gentlemen, it isn't this world. It is Jesus and hope of eternity with Jesus. That's what it is, and this world will not satisfy. And you can chase it. I thought it was interesting this week when a little kid asked Tom Brady, did you see this? A little kid said to him, who's your hero? And he started crying. My dad. I've just always wanted to be like my dad. Because every guy in here wants their dad to love them. Every guy in here, you want to be the person who receives your dad's honor. And let me just tell you something. The Bible says that God is a father to the fatherless. He is our dad. He's looking down today and he's saying, will you be in my huddle? Will you make sure you don't get this world? I'll enjoy the stuff of the world. I do. But that's not the end game. The end game is heaven. And I want you to check today and make sure your huddle is surrounded with people who will help get you there because they'll cheer for you while you're running the right direction. You came this morning. You're not running the right direction. I hope this message has stirred your heart. If you're watching online, I hope this message has touched your heart. And I'm praying that Jesus will use some thought. And here's, here, here was the whole goal of this message. Jesus would speak to you. And tonight while you're watching the Super Bowl, something would go, oh, that's right. I need to make sure I remember that Jesus cares about my huddle. When you see him huddling up tonight, when you see a player get another player's face, go, oh yeah, who's in my huddle? And make sure they're people who honor Jesus. I've asked Pastor Craig to come. He's the quarterback of this team. I get to come in every now and do a substitute run. But Pastor Craig is your pastor. He leads as the quarterback. He's the Tom Brady of this group. Good looking and all. And my prayer is that God would use him and I've asked him to wrap up this message and chalice us all to make sure we run for God.
Thanks, Craig. Let's show our appreciation for Dan Shaley. Thank you. Thank you. One of, uh, one of the responsibilities I take seriously here is the idea that uh, my role means that I need to keep the church alive to what we call the prophetic voice. It's very easy to get stale, and sometimes God wants to bring a, a person in from the outside to give us a message that we may not want to hear, but we need to. Dan, I think you've done that this morning. Uh, there is a prophetic edge to your ministry, and I pray that both here in Holland, I know that you have an extensive ministry here, but across this nation, that that anointing for the prophetic voice would be heard uh, quite clearly. There's obviously a natural gifting that you have, but I pray that there will be a supernatural anointing that would continue with that so that we would be stirred up. And thank you for giving me the freedom to keep stirring. I really, really appreciate that. Um, I'm really pleased that you're here today. Thank you so much for uh, being here. And I do pray that, as Dan said, whenever you watch a, a football game, albeit a game for girls, where I come from, my nation, Wales, is playing a game of rugby. We don't need pads to tackle big people. We do it without it. And... Uh, well, come on, man. Um, I uh, and my team have already won their big game today. Did you actually know that the Six Nations Rugby Championship is the most supported championship in the world? Did you know that? 82,000 people on average go to every game. That's bigger than any other game, any other tournament anywhere. So my big game has already happened. We've won. I hope your team will win, but one of your teams won't. Um, this is one of the only games, I think, of American football games my wife actually sits down and watches most of, depending on where it is. So I know this is a big game. But when you watch this game tonight, I do pray that the Spirit of God would just speak to you and say, who's in your huddle? Take a look around you. Who are you watching with? Who are you doing life with? And I pray that in that moment, if the huddle isn't right, that God would just give you the opportunity to create a group around you that will encourage you to keep moving forward. And so what we want to do, we just want to pray for that today. We want to pray that you would go out of here and that you would keep moving forward. In a divided nation, maybe in a season of life that you're in that's tough, the easy thing to do is to put a group of people around you that are just going to keep you safe. The whole idea, though, is to put a group of people around you to encourage you to keep moving forward. So church, stand with me. Let's pray the blessing of God. I remind you, February the 26th, 6 o'clock here, we have our worship night. There will be childcare for children five and under. Many original songs will be done, songs that we've been asked to send to worship leaders across the country. So it's going to be a great night. That's February the 26th. I remind you, next weekend as well, the Indiana Wesleyan Choir here. Um, but as you go, people of God, I pray that you would keep moving forward don't quit. Be stood up and allow the Holy Spirit to lead you wherever you go. Go in grace, go in peace. Glad you're here. Have a great week. We'll see you all next week. God bless.